All right. You can be opening up your Bibles to the letter to the Ephesians. We, uh, we've been studying in the letter for the last few weeks, as you, as you know, if you've been here. And we're going to be getting into chapter 2 today. Um, in, the, in the first half of the, well, the last half of chapter 1, you know, we, we saw where uh, Paul mentioned several things for which he's been praying on behalf of the Ephesians. Uh, one, that they might know God. And we talked about that. Do, you know, we asked that question. Do we really know God? Because in the end, that's what it's really going to be about, right? Whether we knew him or not. <clears throat> and then also that they might know the hope of his calling. We talked about that, how we all have a calling. We're not just bumps on a log, right? We're not just dummies sitting here in the pews. We have a purpose now. We have something that we are to be about. We are called into service in some form or fashion. And, and part of that... Uh, growth that we have spiritually is, 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 going, is moving into service, finding out what our gifts are, what our talents are, how we can add or help to grow the kingdom here on earth. And of course, that's all powered by the power of God. And he also prayed they might know that exceeding greatness of God's power toward believers, the power that's behind all that service, behind all that movement, that motivation that we have to serve in the kingdom, Right? And then also in a previous lesson, we briefly noted about Paul's equating that great power with the working of God that was first exercised in the raising of Jesus from the dead. And we read about that in the last part of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Of course, we talked about all the great, the major theme really of Ephesians is the great blessings or the, the rich blessings we have in Christ Jesus. And in the beginning of the chapter, we talked about how that was manifested in the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit, and those great blessings that we have in Him. And you noticed, we noticed back then that that phrase in Him was used over and over and over because outside of Him, it's a little bit dire. It's not, it's not quite so rich. It's not so that we're blessed spiritually. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. In that previous lesson, we said, we talked about that power that Paul talked about that God exercised in the raising of Jesus from the dead and exalting him to the head of all things, right? Seated at the right hand of God. We talked about that last week. How many verses refer to that? And then today, we're going to talk about something that occurs in our own conversion and how that reflects our past, uh, past life, our past uh, selves, the condition we were in spiritually. And let's read about that beginning in chapter 2 there of Ephesians in verse 1, where he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know, for us to be able to appreciate 
the grace and power that's mentioned here, we have to kind of look back and see what happened in our conversion. See where we were before that, right? We're not going to probably appreciate where we are if we don't do that sometimes. We can look back and see where we were, what it was like, what our condition was like, right? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 there, and let's read something that Paul says about that. Verse 1, he says, and this, this is Paul talking about what they need to do now, but he says in verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. This is where we are now. This is what we are now. I love that allegory there that, that we are sweet-smelling aroma. You read about that in 2 Corinthians too. Paul likes to use that phrase a lot. We're that sweet-smelling incense that makes, that fills the room, that, that makes everything smell good and, and, and gives off a pleasant, I guess a pleasant odor, I don't know if that's the right word, but it fills the room and makes things feel or seem better, right? That's a wonderful phrase. I love how he uses that. So as we consider this, our condition on the outside of Christ, we learn that prior to this conversion, we were truly the walking dead. And you know, there's a, there's a TV show I think that probably some of you watch that refers to that. I think it's about zombies and all that stuff. And that's not what we're talking about, all right? But before we were in Christ, we were that way, the walking dead. Yeah. We didn't have any hope. We didn't have the blessings that we have now in Christ Jesus. Paul states at first, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Interesting. <clears throat> have you ever had someone say to you, well, I, I'll... I don't know necessarily think the Bible is inspired. I don't think this is all. But, you know, I think as long as you're good, as long as you're a good person, you're going you're gonna to go to heaven. Of course, they tell you that like they really know what that's all about because they haven't read any, the Bible or anything, right? Or, or maybe when you think about before your conversion, maybe some of you were, I don't know, raised up in the body and you, you were baptized as a young person. I was. And you thought, well, I, I was a pretty good kid. I, didn't, I wasn't really... Bad. I, I don't remember being out carousing and doing bad stuff. I was a pretty good kid when I was converted. You know, I was good. You ever heard that? You ever thought that maybe yourself? Yeah. Paul says you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You see, we've all fallen short. We've all sinned. Dead in what way? Well, it's interesting. Let's talk about that for a second. What does he mean when he says we were dead in our trespasses and sins? Because we know what dead means, obviously. We die. We're all going to die. We have loved ones and friends that have passed on already. We understand what that is. <clears throat> but it's not in the sense that, uh, of being uh, dead and that we just don't have anything good anymore. Or being dead and that we don't have any values. Or being dead in the fact that we aren't devout, perhaps give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Turn over to the book of Acts, and let's read some examples of what we're referring to here. Let's just start with Acts chapter 2, and Acts chapter 2, and let's read about the first set of people who might be, we might be talking about here. Acts chapter 2, and let's just begin in verse 5. And this is 
at Pentecost. The apostles are waiting for the uh, Spirit to come down, the baptism of the Spirit, and they are getting ready for Peter's sermon. And there are many have come for Pentecost. And verse 5 says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So there were folks there in Jerusalem that were pretty good people, devout people, very religious people, people who prayed to God and tried to serve God, keep the law and all those things. Now turn over to Acts chapter 8. Let's read about someone else that was kind of like that. Acts chapter 8 and verse 27. <clears throat> Acts start, start in 26. He says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Here's a man reading Isaiah the prophet, and as you know, the story goes, Philip says, do you know what about your reading? He says, how can I until somebody explain it to me? He's a devout man. Going to Jerusalem from Ethiopia to worship God. But he didn't know about Jesus Christ. Over Acts chapter 10, there. Let's read about another person. Beginning of verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now, we've studied about Cornelius in here a couple times. Of course, we know that's when Peter got the vision, right? Because he was not going to the Gentiles at the time, Cornelius being a Gentile. And Peter was told, go to Cornelius and deliver words by which he will be saved. He was a devout man, giving alms. Yet he was not saved. Turn to Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> beginning in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me, you be faithful to the Lord. Come to my house and stay. So he persuaded us. Lydia worshipped God, yet she had to hear the words of Paul. Acts 17, verse 11. Actually, verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You've heard about the Bereans, right? They went to the scriptures because that's what they did. They wanted to know the word of God, and they wanted to see if this stuff was true that they were talking about. Acts 22. 
Let's begin, let's begin in verse 1. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God, as you all are today. This is Paul talking about himself. Before he was converted, he was zealous toward God. He worshiped God. He knew the law, and he practiced it, just like these folks in the synagogue that he's speaking to. Interesting, isn't it? You see, just because you're good, just because you might be a devout person and think you're religious, doesn't mean you're saved. Doesn't mean you're not dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, you know this stuff, right? Well, you know, this, you know this kind of thing. But the world doesn't. And it's good to know this, to be able to go to places when you have to discuss something like this. Because I believe this is one of the major barriers to folks becoming a Christian. They don't get it. They don't understand what's the big deal about Jesus. I'm a good person. I'm living a good life. I don't bother people. I don't commit, uh, I, don't, I don't, you know, break the law. I'm not really a sinner because I'm a good person. Just as physical death is a separation of body and spirit, these folks were dead because they were separated from God. How so, you say? They were dead. They did not, were they not in Him? They were not in Christ. They were not in fellowship with God. So, spiritual death exists when we are separated from God. You don't have to turn over here, but I want to read something from Isaiah 59. It kind of explains that a little bit, because I want to make sure we understand that. 59 and verse 1, if you want to follow along. Isaiah 59, 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. Here's Isaiah talking about the Jews, the Israelites, right? The chosen people of God. We can go back and read the Old Testament, how God... God was prevalent in their lives and the things that went on. He spoke to them. Right? He gave Moses the law so that they would know how to live. Here's this God that the Israelites were in fellowship with because he chose them. That's what we're talking about here. We now have that opportunity in Christ to be in fellowship with that same God, have that relationship with him that the Israelites had. Even though we're not perfect and we sin, we are in him. And that's the difference. You see, you've heard hell is going to be awful and terrible and, you know, all the depictions you might have heard about that. But ultimately, hell is simply being separated from God. Now, I know you guys, I'm speaking to the choir here. Can you imagine your lives without God in it? what that would be like. 
I mean, many of you have had some serious surgeries, right, or been through some tough things with you or, or loved ones in your family or friends. Could you have made it through that without being able to talk to God? Probably would have been tough, wouldn't it? I can remember being in the hospital with Jolene being going through surgery and having the elders come and pray with us early in the morning. And I could see other people around who didn't have that, and they looked kind of worried. And I remember how that gave us both a sense of comfort. Not that we, we didn't think that surgery was serious and that things could happen to us, but we had that relationship with the Father, and we had others who were praying on our behalf to him. That gave us comfort. I can't imagine going through something like that without God, without the brethren, without prayer. You can kind of understand how that reflects here then when you think about it like that, right? Those who are not in Christ are dead. The cause of this death, of course, the separation of God has been brought about by our trespasses and sin. Trespasses meaning things that we might have committed that are wrong deviations from the straight and narrow, things that we might not have done that we should have done, the old sins of omission, right? You may have heard that phrase. We have missed the mark at times in glorifying God, and we've talked about that, right? What's the purpose? What are we to do here as Christians? We're glorifying God. When we serve Him, live our lives separate from the world, sanctified, set apart, we bring glory to God. And I want to make one point here. There's many in the world that will say, well, you're born into sin, right? This is something that you have because of your ancestors or it's something that continues to present. And yes, the world has fallen because of sin. But when we're talking about our relationship to the Father, it's us. It's us and Him. Nobody else, right? It's our lives and His in relationship to him. Before our conversion, we were dead, not because of what our fathers or mothers did or ancestors did. It's because we sinned. Turn over to Ezekiel 18. Let's read that if you want. Uh, you want to get over there. Ezekiel chapter 18. And let's see what he says about that. Ezekiel 18, let's begin in verse 9. He says, Yet you say, Why should the Son not bear the guilt of the Father? Because the Son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The Son shall not bear the guilt of the Father, nor the Father bear the guilt of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Ezekiel says, your sins are yours. It's not your father's sin. You don't inherit anybody else's sin. It's simply yours. Yes, the world has fallen. The world is going away because of sin. But we're dead in our trespasses because of what we've done alone. I know, you'd say, well, I understand that. But there's a lot of folks out there in the world who would disagree with that. So I wanted to point that out. Before our conversion to Christ, we are dead because of our sin, and as such, we were spiritually separated for, from God. And just like I showed you in the book of Acts, even if you were devout, 
you were separated. So you can kind of see the terribleness of sin, right, because of this. Even though you can live a good life, the terribleness of sin separates you from God, no matter how good you are. He also goes on to say, you are walking with the world according to the course of this world. Before conversion, one walks in conformity with customs and manners of the world at large. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read something that he says there. We'll be, we'll be talking about this a little later. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says to them, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. You see, that's the world. And that's a pretty vivid picture of it, right? Giving themselves over to lewdness. And you have to live in the world. And our world today sounds a lot like this, right? In fact, I would imagine you could say it's a lot worse now than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago just because of the way you look at the culture, right? I can get into that. We can make several lessons on the way our world is full of sin, how it's so prevalent in our culture anymore, how Christianity in general seems to have been pushed to the side, right? Man, we could have a big-time long discussion on that, right? You just turn on the TV and you can see it, right? Every, every TV show's got a have a gay character in it now, right? Every one of them, like that's the norm. Try not to get worked up about that. But it's prevalent, isn't it? It's so prevalent that it's like, this is the way it is, this is the norm now. I don't care what you think, you Christian. You're stupid. You're just an idiot. You believe in some fairy tale. Interesting, isn't it? Paul's describing this. That's the way he says we were before we were converted. We were part of that. <clears throat> alienated from, the li from God, uh, alienated from the, life, from the life of God through ignorance, walking in futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being past feeling those in the world, giving themselves over to licentiousness, lewdness, working all uncleanness with greediness. I mean, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But that's what he says they were doing. In other words, they were spiritually dead, separated from God, and walking also according to the prince of the power of the air. Well, who are we talking about there? Before our conversion, it's not just the world we walk according to, but this person that Paul is describing here. Who is that? The prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, as we read there in verse 2. We won't turn over to 1 John real quick. And let's see if we can see who that is. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. <clears throat> John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... 
The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever, not being part of the world, not being driven by this prince of the power of the air. Turn over to 1 Peter, and let's see what he says about that. First Peter chapter 5. He says in verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking him whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. There you have it. That's your adversary. That's the prince of the power of the air. And the world says, oh, that's just a fairy tale. That's something somebody made up in a story somewhere. No. If you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, then you have to believe the devil exists. It's a real being. And it's evil. And it's at work in the world trying to take as many souls down as as he can. That's what Paul says you were like before you were converted. You were in the world and you were led by the devil. Turn to 2 Timothy and let's read something he says there. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. Actually, let's start with verse uh, 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth. Remember? Their hearts are darkened, and their understanding is darkened, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. See, those in the world are under his influence. They've been taken captive, and they're called sons of disobedience, as Paul refers to here in these passages in Ephesians 2 because they are influenced by Satan rather than by God. So, according to the course of the world, they're dead in their trespasses and sins, and we were among those also who conducted ourselves that way. Well, what, uh, what were we doing? What, what was going on there before our conversion? Uh, he says we conduct ourselves in the lust of our flesh, living to the glory of the flesh. And he describes that in Romans. Let's, let's turn over to Romans chapter 7. i read you a few verses from here. <clears throat> Beginning in verse um, 13 of Romans 7. It says that, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become 
exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not do, if I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law. That evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul's referring to there is how he was before his conversion, right? He was a sinner, period. Even though he might not have wanted to commit sin, he did. Even though he didn't will to do it, he did. Because he's in the flesh. Just like us. We commit sins. Even though we don't will to do it, we commit sins. It happens. We're in the flesh. Sin came into the world, and because of that, we sin. And because of our sin, we are dead in our trespasses. We are separated from God. We are not in relationship with him. We fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And of course, those desires of the flesh are those unrighteous cravings and things that uh, belong to and are spawned by the flesh. When you live your life day to day, do you think about the fact that you were a sinner? Do you think about how that was prevalent in your life? I mean, I mean probably not, right? And you think back before you were converted, when you lived your life, you weren't thinking about the fact that you were a sinner, right? That you committed sin, that you were transgressing God's law, right? But then what made you decide to become a Christian? You had to know about that sin, right? You had to understand that because of that sin, you were going to spend eternity separated from God. So I don't know what your motivation was to become a Christian. Maybe, maybe there was fear involved. And that's a good thing. You need to fear God and the judgment to come. But I hope that wasn't the only thing that you understood. And perhaps, well, may, maybe a conversion, that's kind of what pushed you. But hopefully you've grown since then. And the love that you have for him, the love that you have for each other, the life that you're now leading in him has become a motivation as well, not just that fear of hell. <clears throat> the world doesn't understand that though, right? They don't know. They don't understand that they are living according to the desires of the flesh. That phrase always gets me because it sounds like someone is sinning because, you know, they can't wait to do it. They just can't wait to get out there and commit those sins of the flesh. And I guess there is some of that, right? But it's not that they're consciously thinking that's a sin, right? I guess the point I'm trying to get across is it's not something that 
the world understands. That's something that we were part of, though, and it's something we don't necessarily think about. Thus, even religiously doubt, devout people before conversion are considered children of wrath. And that's the point I want to make there. Even though you may have been living a good life, you were a child of wrath, a son of disobedience, led by Satan. So, when dealing with the world, that's kind of something you need to keep in mind. They probably don't, well, they don't. They don't realize that they are children of wrath, sons of disobedience, being led by the devil. And that's something you may have to tell somebody. Something you may have to describe for yourself that you were as well before you were converted. Paul did it, and that's what he's saying here. Not easily done, though, right? Not easily to go tell somebody, you're a son of the devil, right? But it's true. That's what Paul's trying to get across here. Outside of Christ, you are led by Satan. You're led as children of wrath. So, to understand this nature as being something, uh, well, let me say this. Some would say you're born into sin, right? There's the, t the T, the part of the tulip in Calvinism, total depravity, we're born in sin. And I, I would disagree to that and point that I don't believe a baby is born in sin, all right? I think a child has to get to a, some point where they can understand the difference between right and wrong before they would be condemned or considered lost in their trespasses, dead in their trespasses, right? <clears throat> Many disagree with that. That nature that he's talking about doesn't necessarily get into when that occurs, all right? Only that we can be children of God at our conversion. And that's the big thing there. When we are converted, we are no longer children of wrath. We are children of God. That nature can be understood as a mode of feeling or acting which by long habit has become nature. But in the context of Ephesians 2, Paul's not talking about the sinful conduct committed by ancestors, as we've already talked about. And some will try to use these verses to say that. So that's another thing we need to keep in mind. <clears throat> Sins by which you once walked, we're all con we all have once conducted ourselves, and we've all sinned personally, not because of what our family or parents did. Thus, we are sons of disobedience and children of wrath. So we've seen that our condition outside of Christ is one that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, walking with the world and the devil, and fulfilling the desires of the flesh and mind. In other words, sons of disobedience beforehand and children of wrath. How can such sons of disobedience and children of wrath ever become children of God? How can they ever become holy without blame? How can they be accepted by God? Remember, we read those things in the first part of chapter 1 that he said they were. Well, you'll have to be here next week to find that out. We're going to be reading the next few verses in chapter 2, and we're going to talk about grace. All right? By grace you have been saved. And, of course, we're going to read chapter verse 8, which is, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible that people talk about, and we'll get into that then. But keep in mind, you are in Christ Jesus, and because of that, you have great blessings that the world does not experience. And that's our goal, is to 
teach others, show others, so they can experience that as well. All right.